Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there, and thanks very much for joining us. Lots to come on this episode, our second of 2023. But we're going to begin by talking about one of Cork's best-known pubs. It's hard to imagine how a pub could continue after being hit by flooding, on top of all the difficulties that were caused to the hospitality sector in COVID. Well, the good news is this pub has not only come back, they've gone and landed the honour of being chosen as the best pub in Ireland by the prestigious Georgina Campbell Guide Annual Hospitality Awards. I am talking, of course, about the much-loved Cronins in Crosshaven. Dennis Cronin, who runs the pub with his wife Caroline, is with me. Dennis, how are you? Oh, very well. How are you? I'm, All's good. I'm good. Delighted to talk to you, and I'm delighted that you've received this award. By God, did you need it after the few years he put down? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a great um, accolade to to get, and something. Geez, we weren't planning on at all. Obviously, it kind of caught us off guard, but uh, absolutely thrilled to to receive it. Yeah. Talk, talk us through what happened to you in the last one, because obviously COVID meant you had to close, like all the pubs did. And then the water came. So, I mean, you, you got hit twice. Yeah. Well, we were kind of tipping along nicely during COVID and trading away and doing the food. And, you know, we kind of turned the bar into a little restaurant or an eatery, I suppose, during all those funny periods of time that we had. And uh, then, yeah, at the end of August, we got hit by a flood, but it was... Um, Oh, it was like the sewerage flood. So, yeah, it was from the inside out. <laughs> so it wasn't pretty. Um, yeah, and just the, I suppose, the age of the building and the, all the rest came to to the fore. And then all the strife or the ups and downs in building and COVID and all that. It just kind of went on and on and on. So we were shut in the end for 18 months. Right. But that, of course, gave you an opportunity. You never waste a good crisis, as they say. And and how did you turn the pub around in that time? Yeah, I suppose we did have plenty of time to, to think it out and see what's happening around us. And I suppose, really, we just didn't want to change much, if you know what I mean. I suppose being closed, people's biggest fears were like, oh, my God, they're going to change the whole place. Or there was... And, we have a good saying down here as well, never let the truth get in the way of a good rumour. But um, yeah, there was talk of this happening and that happening. But we just wanted to keep it authentic and, you know, keep the, the feel in the pub. I think that's hugely important for nostalgia. People have so many memories of Crosshaven and in particular coming down to the seaside when they're younger, different generations. And it just means so much to the people of Cork. Yeah. We couldn't possibly have done anything drastic like it would have uh, probably been the detriment of the place really well I mean I, I would always describe Cronin's as a cosy pub uh, it would be the kind of place that you'd happily shelter uh, out of a shower in uh, and probably fall out of it about four hours later but it, 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 you had to kind of maintain that didn't you <laughs> totally I mean like it was just a reinstatement I suppose after the flood it wasn't we didn't change anything as such we didn't knock walls or do anything drastic like I said but we just kind of utilised the space a bit better Given the building's age, like it's over 200 years old, parts of it. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of jigged around the kitchen a little bit and kind of made, as I said, better use of the space and did a, yeah, just took the opportunity to, I suppose, reinvent the, mm. the, the layout or the workings, the fundamentals of the pub 
Now you're probably you're, you're you're underselling the little jig around in the kitchen because uh, Georgina Campbell's guy doesn't hand these things out lightly. So food yeah. food became a big part of your business during lockdown, and mm-hmm. and the people, the good people of Crosshaven and beyond, got a taste for it. So you were able to do a little bit more in terms of food after the redo. Yeah, well, again, it comes down to to I suppose staff is the biggest key of any business, and just even setting out a whole business out of COVID in the hospitality and all the challenges of finding staff and getting a place up and running really was a huge, huge cha- challenge for us all. Like we, we got the pub open just at the end of May in time for the June bank holiday. Then we got the kitchen open the weekend, like the Friday before Cork week in July. And we literally just hit the ground like at a hundred miles an hour straight into that busy week. Yeah, I mean, with you, all new staff and new new people, and well, <laughs> nothing beats a challenge than trying to run Cronin's uh, with new staff in Cork Week. Uh, but you survived I, it anyway, and and you got the clientele back. I mean, most importantly, hmm. people came back to the pub because when you're closed for that long, and and when you have a a, a, a sector in crisis like like the licensed trade at the moment, you know, there's no guarantee people are going to come back through the door even if they liked you before. Absolutely, you're right. Yeah, and it, it comes down to, I suppose, just the the quality in, in in food or the quality in service and drinks, and again the friendliness of staff and the, yeah, just the environment that yeah people have more choices and they're you know they're they're looking for that experience. They're looking for just the honest, I suppose, offering, uh, uncomplicated or just yeah, an authentic place to to come and have a beer or to come and have a chat and meet up with some friends without any kind of, I suppose, too much frills. That's the way we look at it, that it's like um, just a, a good local, really, you know. It's, yeah. I, I mean, the, the people of Crosshaven, they're, they're very loyal, but it, it's a destination. It was always a destination. I mean, like mm. if you were going down to the Merries or you were going down to the seaside or you were passing through yeah. on your way to one of the beaches, like, Crosshaven was a great point to stop. I mean, it, it is sad that, I suppose, there aren't as many pubs as there used to be down there, but that's just a reflection of, of how we are. And it's, it's looking after what we have is important for Huron. Yeah, absolutely. You said it. And like when people are down at the beaches and day tripping and they, they like a little finish off the day with maybe a treat or, you know, grab an ice cream in, in the, the local shop or go and get fish and chips um, or come, come in for a sneaky pint, send the kids down to the Mary's. Um, and yeah, and hit off in the car. So it's, I suppose, trying to tick all those boxes and and keep the people satisfied, isn't it? Mm. You know, you, you also had a bit of music there. Uh, that's always been mm. part of the process. Are yeah. you are you keeping with the music going now? Is is that part of the? I Definitely, mean, you, yeah. you'd hate no, to play, think, think, you'd hate to think the place got too fancy for it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think like alongside the hospitality, the arts definitely suffered over COVID, and we feel that like having Cronin's and the pub and uh, the terrace out the front it's it's like having a stage in the in the middle of the in the middle of the community and it's it's kind of part of our I suppose it creates a whole vibe there but it, it gives yeah the arts is hugely important and even to get us through this period in time like the arts need to come out of it the pubs need to come out of it and I think working together is definitely just 
it's what needs to happen. Mm. Well, uh, Luke O'Neill, who's a very good friend of mine, uh, the, the immunologist, always goes on oh, about yeah. how he loves coming down and playing with his band, the Metabolics, as that's they're called, right. that's outside. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to him gloating that he's back on stage in Cronin's at some stage over yeah, the course of the next few months. You'll have to months. get him down. You'll have to do <laughs> so. Now that you see, he's, he's famous now as well, you see, probably, he'll, he'll probably demand a fee, but we won't we won't talk about that now on the radio. Uh, Dennis Cronin, congratulations to you and everybody involved in Cronin's and Crosshaven on winning the Georgina Campbell Guide Annual Hospitality Award for Best Pub in Ireland. Continued success, Dennis. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's a, a great honour. And uh, yeah, thanks to the community and the staff and everyone that just made it possible. Yeah, thank you. My next guest worked in radio for about 14 years before deciding to set up her own sales and customer service training consultancy. Now, it was another radio station, but we're not allowed to talk about that on the Red Business Podcast. Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch, how are you? I'm very good and nice to talk to you, Jonathan. It's lovely to talk to you as well. And we're going to talk about uh, your hobby, which is uh, writing books. And you've written a novel called The Girl with Special Knees. And we're going to get to that. But tell us a little bit about Golden Apple Training, first of all. Well, Golden Apple Training, I set up in, I think it was 2005. Um, I had worked in radio, Jonathan, as you know, for about 14 years. And I had learned an awful lot. And I loved radio. And I'd learned an awful lot about sales, about customer service, about really how to sell well, I suppose, and how to build really strong relationships with customers. So that was one sort of set of skills that I had. In my 20s, I used to teach in RTC. And teaching was always my first love, really, going back to my school days. I always wanted to be a teacher. And I thought, how am I going to marry those two things and maybe set up on my own, take the next step and go out on my own? And the obvious thing was really to set up a training company where I could, you know, pass on everything I'd learned and teach at the same time. And hence, Golden Apple Training. And I suppose one of the reasons that I set it up without thinking about it for too long was... I didn't have a huge amount to lose. I thought I was going to have quite a strong product um, and it wasn't going to cost me fortune to set up. Mm. I just needed a PC, I needed a phone and I needed to put together some really strong course templates for the type of work and the type of, of course that I was, um, or programs, you know, that I was going yeah. to, that I was going so to you, deliver. You married the um, two things that you had done previously, right? But the big difference between working in sales for somebody else and working in sales for yourself is that you've no one to blame if it goes wrong. Uh, and if you don't get the sales and if you don't get people looking for your service, then you don't have money coming through the door. So that, there was still a leap of faith there. There was a leap of faith. But I suppose, you know, when it comes to sales, I, I think that's my strong point. And the, what I learned, you see, about sales was this, whether you work for somebody else or whether it is for yourself, you have to really be sold yourself before you can sell to anybody else. You have to really value what you offer. And I really did value my training. I thought my training was going to be, you know, the next best thing. So um, so I didn't have that sort of crisis of confidence. Of what am I going to do if I don't sell? I felt I would sell my services because I thought that they, w- they were worthwhile. Um, and, and my training, I felt at the time, and I still believe this, that my training wasn't just going to be like everybody else's training. Um, I wanted people to get the most out of their working day. I I was approaching it slightly differently, I suppose. I wanted 
people's working day to be more meaningful, to be more satisfying, to be more productive, to be more enjoyable. And how would you do it? And everybody buys into that idea. Yeah. So how would I how 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 would I get them to do that? Well if 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 you are very enthusiastic about your sales or about your service, about your customers, about your colleagues, then that enthusiasm will drive productivity and okay. sales. Well, how, so, no, hang on a second. Hang on. So, hang on. How do you teach so, that, Eleanor Kelly Lynch? Because, I mean, there's a lot of fellas out there who, who only care about one thing and that's how, how much is in their bank account at the end of the month. They don't necessarily care about the other stuff that will help the business grow. So how do you communicate that to the people on the course? But, you know, it's funny. That's not really true. There are, there are some people for whom money... Listen, money was very important to me. You know, I used to say in radio to my colleagues, money doesn't motivate me and they all burst out laughing. They said, well, Eleanor, it does actually. And I thought, well, I suppose it does, but it mightn't be the primary thing. And for most people, the primary thing is, how do I enjoy my day? How do I get a kick out of work? How do I finish work in the evening and feel, I feel great. I feel exhausted. I'm tired, but I really feel good about what I've done. Actually, it's those emotions that people really want to feel at the end of the day, that work satisfaction, that job satisfaction. I mean, that's why people leave well-paid jobs because they're just not getting perhaps that job satisfaction that they know they could get elsewhere. Mm. So, and well, look, from my point of view, how do you get a job satisfaction? How do you make your day more productive and, you know, more meaningful? Well, you work hard and you cultivate things inside in yourself, things like enthusiasm and resilience and in a way, you it's not that your job becomes the primary thing in your life, but that you take it seriously um, and that, you know, that you're you're enthusiastic about yeah. the whole the whole thing. And I mean, look, it was easy for me. The, the, the minute I walked into radio, I just absolutely loved it. And I loved every second I was in there. I read every book about radio. I read every book I could find about advertising, about self-development, about how to be a better salesperson, about how to listen better. So I cultivated a Mm. mindset and that all helped me to become very successful at sales. And I have to say this, and I would say that to listeners out there, salespeople are not born. I was not a born salesperson. If somebody said to me that I would be in sales when I say I was 18 or 20, I would have just gotten sick. Oh, you've you run, you run in the opposite direction. Sales. Absolutely. And but the thing is, what I love about your story is you combined the two things and then you reinvented yourself and you went off and, and, and yeah. they had a new you. But then that wasn't enough for you, uh, Eleanor, because you decided, well, do you know what? There's a book in me and I need to get it out. <laughs> so how did you find the time between having a family and uh, reinventing yourself and getting your new business up and running? And then write from the book. How how did you find the time for that? Do you know what? I didn't find the time for (laughs) about um, 20 or 25 years. I didn't find the time. I always wanted to write a book since I was a child. I always wanted to write a book. I didn't know what the book would be about. I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to write a story. But then you have to have really, you have to have a really good idea of what sort of subject, what you want to write a story about. Um, or a novel about and I really didn't know what I wanted to write about until maybe oh in the last 10 years I thought about writing a story my daughter was born with a very rare syndrome and her life has been very difficult and very tough and I I suppose it consumed me for decades really and I wanted to write about it but I didn't want it to be a misery memoir I didn't want to write about the tough life I wanted to give the child wings and I wanted to write a story of kind of hope and fun and adventure 
um, and at the same time talk about the the darker side um, of the syndrome. Not necessarily the syndrome, but having a child who's not happy and who hasn't got joy and who has a tough life. Mm. So, um, so I thought about it for a long time, but I do that a lot. I think about things and don't do don't do it. Um, but about five years ago, I sat down at a writing course in Shirkin Island, um, a weekend writing course. And when she pushed, you know, push came to shove and she asked us to write the first page of whatever it was in her heads. I wrote that first page of the girl with special needs. And once I had the first page written down, like a lot of procrastinators, uh, Jonathan, once I had the first page written, I was I was on my way. So, yeah. So I continued to write on and off yeah. at night, usually 10 p.m. to about 1am maybe if I wasn't training the next day I might stay up until 1, 2, 3pm I didn't or am didn't realise the time flying by yeah. and chapter by chapter I didn't you, you know I, I didn't know got, if I'd ever finish it well, but yeah, I but just you got it wrote out. chapter by yeah, chapter and you got it all out there and yourself published it you might explain the title The Girl with Special Knees why did you call it that? Well, I suppose the idea came from my granddaughter who actually thought that my daughter had special knees. And she used to say to me, you know, what's what's so special about Lauren's knees? And we were trying to explain to her it's special needs. A child with special needs is somebody who has a disability and, you know, they have other abilities. But it's special needs is the word that we use. So it was a bit of fun, really. Um, and then when I thought about the title of the book, I thought, well, that is my this is this is the protagonist in the book. She is a child. It's a fictitious book, I have to say. Um, it's it's a novel. It's, it's it's not it's 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 rooted in my experience. But obviously, there's a lot of fiction in there. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really she's the center part of the novel. This little girl who has special needs. Um, and who receives an African doll in the post one October day for her birthday. And once that doll comes into the house, magic starts to happen. Um, and that's really the, the, you know, the beginnings of the story. And tell me when other people who have got children with special needs, let's say, uh, when they read it, do they do they see themselves? They do. And, you know, as somebody said to me recently, she was um, a principal in um, one of the schools in Cope and that, you know, where my daughter was going to school years ago. And she said, every parent should read this, Eleanor, because it resonates. Um, and, you know, I spoke to PJ Coogan there on air um, a few months back and, you know, he was saying, you know, I can see how people would you know, their hearts would clench when they read this because they will recognise uh, so many different emotions in the book. Um, and that's great. And that's, I love that. I, what does a writer want to do? A writer wants to connect with a reader so that the reader, when they read the page, says, that's me. You know, I understand. That's how I felt as well. Okay. So, so it was great that I did seem to get that, you know, reaction, Absol I suppose, no, from, from other parents. Um, yeah. Where can people find the book, first of all, if they're looking for it? They can find the book on Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch uh, .ie, my website, uh, Vibes and Scribes, um, uh, Silverbow in Glanmire, Middleton Books, um, and also obviously on Amazon um, Book Depository online. Okay, and Golden Apple Training. I suppose better mention the business as well, so you might get some. <laughs> you might get paid at some point. Uh, how did they find you there? <laughs> That's right, Golden Apple Training is still going strong. I have to marry the two now. The, the pr promoting and marketing the book, with still as you say during the day job. But look, it's great to be busy.
Okay, Eleanor O'Kelly Lynch, it's been an absolute pleasure to reconnect with you. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. I can see why the Echo put you on their Women to Watch in 2023. <laughs> uh, so look, we'll hear more, no doubt, in the future. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us, Eleanor. Thanks very much, Jonathan. My pleasure. For many people, you get up in the morning, you throw on whatever was on the chair next to you, you go out the door without giving what you're wearing a second thought. But for lots of people... What they wear can change their mood and how they approach the day ahead. Sharon Huggard is the style coach. She has been talking about how correct styling can really boost a person's self-confidence. And she's with me now to talk about the importance of style. Sharon, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for having me on. Can I make a confession, Sharon, just to begin the conversation? I I turned into an absolute slob during lockdown. I threw on the same hoodie every day for about a month. Nobody noticed on the Zoom calls. We kind of all just got out of the habit of dressing up. Uh, Do I have to? Do I really have to dress up again now? (laughs) I think we all kind of, I think we were in shock at at the thought of lockdown and what it brought again we nearly went into fetal position and mode and kind of safety and security and it was i suppose for me it is you know about dressing we we, we're, we dress for other people instead of dressing for ourselves and that's something that i kind of try to you know, help my clients with because when we dress for ourselves it's the impact and the mood lifting and that you know kind of the you know enhances your mood and you just feel better like and even for a businesswoman We'll say that, or, or even yourself, you know, businessmen. And um, you know, if you're going to do a live or something, you're you're going to do it if you're, you know, if you're feeling good about yourself, rather than if. Yeah. And then I think a lot of people kind of hide away, and kind of become, I suppose, become they shrink a little bit. I think when when they're not dressed. It's absolutely, um, and and I, and it does inspire confidence. But like, I, I'm to talk for the male side of it now before we get into the female side. Yes, um, I hate ties. Absolutely hate ties. I never really liked ties. But uh, when I started out in telly, I was told you have to wear a tie. If you're not on the tie, okay. you're going to get given out to. Now okay. we don't wear ties anymore. Yeah. Um. Uh, but we still have to dress up, and we still have to kind of put forward a little bit of our personality if it's not in our tie. So how do you manage that? Yeah, and I think I suppose the landscape has changed definitely. Like when I worked, I worked in the South Mall for um, you know ten years in, in finance. It was very there was a uniform. Yeah, you know, there was a suit, or there was, and it was kind of easy to get dressed in that you knew what was required going to work. Whereas now, with Casual Friday and every day is kind of casual, and it is more difficult for people um, to you know to I suppose know what to navigate the whole kind of landscape, and. Um, Injects that little bit of personality as well. Like I even I would have clients that were say were solicitors, and even to inject that bit, even you know they have to be you know kind of you know wearing a certain uniform we call it, but just inject a little bit of personality as you say whether it's accessories, whether it's a watch, whether it's you know a shirt. Even I love you know when the shirt when something has a point of difference, even a little bit of a pattern on the inside of a collar of a shirt or on the turn up of a cuff. It just adds that little bit of personality when you haven't huge scope yeah. to, you know, to kind of express yourself. But the other, the other thing, to, to go back to my earlier conversation, you have to be comfortable. Because if you're going around in something that, that's throttling you or something that doesn't yeah. fit you right, you're not going to be happy in that meeting. You're not going to perform to your best. Exactly. And that is, I suppose, for me, which is funny from a stylist saying this, but I actually want my clients to forget about their clothes. They have them on, they have something that they know, you know, they feel comfortable and suits them. And then it's about either going out there making memories or going out, as you say, if you're giving a presentation that you have, you know, that you're just focused on that, not kind of hitching at something or something scratchy material or something that is just not comfortable. It's about forgetting about what you've on so you can go and take opportunities and make memories. Mm. Uh, Now, when I went Christmas shopping, 
present for my Christmas outfit, you know, the the, the dreaded yeah. Christmas outfit. Uh, I I have no time to be wasting in shops. Uh, so I went into Tony's. I'm sure you're familiar with yes, Tony's there. And I went into yeah. Tony's and I said to Tony, Tony, put me in clothes for Christmas. And Tony had yeah. it sorted within about five minutes. We walked out of the shop. My wife said, my God, that was amazing. There should Completely. be one of them for women. And I'm going, but yes. there is, like, there is. It exists out there. But women, uh, I suppose, the, I'll get away with wearing that outfit four or five times a month, whereas a woman won't yeah. necessarily do that. So how do you how do you dress yourself uh, to to impress without breaking the bank? I think I think thankfully I've always had my kind of mantra is always fewer clothes and more outfits. So I would be very a very practical stylist. I, you know, I have three grown up kids. I, you know, it's kind of and it's all about dressing for your lifestyle as well. But there is, I suppose, now with sustainability, and we have to look. We have to, you know, if our if our you know if we're to follow the example of our children and they're out. Um, you know, you know, kind of with placards, we have to look at it. And we have to look at our, the responsibility of, you know, big, you know, sourcing things. And the most sustainable thing to do is actually wear your clothes in your wardrobe. And you can give them a refresh and make them current every year and make them. But it is, it, I think it's actually now cool to wear your clothes on repeat because you're, you know, it's being sustainable. Um, and it's not just a fashion trend. I think it's just something that we can... It makes no sense to wear mm. something once or twice and not. I mean, I think I think we're over that now. I really do. I would hope that we have moved on from that. I know it was all that kind of Insta when it came out first, and you, you couldn't wear the same outfit. But I, I, I really hope you know that we're, we're yeah. we've moved on from that. I mean, like you look back at some of the pictures that uh, come from the eighties, like eighties power dressing, uh, big shoulder pads, <laughs> coming through the door, scaring the daylights. Please, please, yeah, please let us never go back to that. I mean, we have no. s- common sense has prevailed because uh, clothes are a lot more functional. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. and it, it is. It's just we have to get dressed every day. So why not? I would kind of, I suppose, for me, I. In, you know, I uniquely combine personal style and personal development. So it is all about using style as a tool. It's not the be and end all. It's but it's using it as a tool. Um, but you know, when it's appropriate, if you're kind of on downtime at the weekend, you know, you're just relaxing, and you know, if you're standing at the sideline at, at a GA match, do you know what I mean? Just it, but using it as a tool if you want to um, feel more confident. Mm. Um, I kind of say, spend your money where you spend your time. So if you are out a lot, you know, you don't have to be. And it's so unique to everybody. That's what I love about um, dressing. I was at an event at the weekend and everybody was dressed so differently and uniquely to them. I think that's what's really, really, when you identify how you want to feel. And that, again, is something I would say is style. It's a feeling. So it's yeah. about how you want to feel and then rep- you know represent that in, in your clothing. Well, as MC on a regular basis at events, there's nothing more depressing than looking out at a bunch of people all dressed the same. It, it, you, you, yeah. don't, you don't feel like that's a room with a lot of energy. I do prefer a little bit of variety. Sharon, if yes. people are looking for the expertise of the style coach, how do they find you? Yeah, I'm on social media, Sharon Huggard, um, the style coach on Instagram and Sharon Huggard on Facebook and LinkedIn and all the places. All the places, <laughs> so they'll find you. All the places. Sharon <laughs> Huggard, the style coach. Thank you so much for taking the time to Thank talk to us. So and look, much. we live in hope that the old shoulder pads will come back at some stage. And the leg warmers, don't forget. I know. Thank you, Sharon. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you. A lot of people were forced to close their doors during COVID, but it also gave a lot of people the impetus to set up their own business. It can be a tough journey for any startup, but Cork Bic can help entrepreneurs with issues around finance and business propositions, arranging agreements with shareholders and investors and finding customers. The company has a new CEO, only appointed in the last few weeks, and he's on the line. Larry O'Donoghue, congratulations. How are you? 
I'm very good, Jonathan. It's great to speak with you. Lovely to talk to you. Tell us a little bit about Corkbeck. What do you do? Yeah, so Corkbeck, um, Corkbeck have been around for for over thirty years, and uh, they're part of the of the startup support ecosystem in the southwest region. We're part of a, a national network of business innovation centers. So BIC stands for Business Innovation Center. So we have business innovation centers in Cork and Galway, in Waterford and, and in Dublin. So we cover the entire country uh, supporting startups. At typically not at the super early stage, ideation stage or incubation stage, but more at the stage where there is a team in place, a product or service has been somewhat developed and the, and the companies are out there looking for customers, increased traction, trying to understand where the real value is with their customers and potentially looking to uh, grow and expand into international markets. So it's uh, it's usually high growth companies with ambitions to to export internationionally mm. um, are the the sweet spot of where the big's working we, we've heard uh, from government and uh, people encouraging people set up your own business it's never been a better time to be an entrepreneur but not everybody can do it not everybody has the right kind of idea is uh, idea so when they come through the door to you Larry what are you looking for well we're looking for as I said we're looking for very much high growth uh, companies but but the startups are based on founders, so we're looking for for founders that have that uh, ambition to grow companies, and they're doing something that hasn't been done, or looking to do something that hasn't been done in in a sector before, solving a problem that isn't properly uh, solved, and looking for a market to uh, to grow to grow that business into. So you're looking that as you as you mentioned, not everybody is cut out for the startup. Uh, lifestyle. It is very high pressure. It is uh, long hours and a lot of uncertainty. But the the founders that we we work with, they have that. They they have a at their core, they have a belief in what they are doing. They have a a passion for a problem that they are solving, and they usually come to that problem from from past experience in in, in a potentially a company or in their own personal life where they have experienced a problem and they go after that problem to solve it um, in, a, in, a, in a very passionate way. So that's the passion at the center is, is very much what you're looking for to guide yourself and, and your company through the, the very, very difficult journey of developing a startup. So that, 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 that passion to do something impactful, I think, is a, is a, a key trait that when people we're are, looking for. Yeah, when people are setting up their businesses, uh, they'll think their problems are unique to them uh, because they are, effectively, because they're new to them, but they're most likely things others have come across before. Um, let's talk about uh, getting capital, for example, or the ability to listen to your customers, uh, how do I go about setting up uh, payroll? Because I've never done anything like that in my life. There, there are very few new problems in in a in a startup, and that's kind of where you guys will come in, isn't it? It is absolutely, and I think the the, the key thing about Corkbeck um, and our USP in in our offering to startups that we work with is all of our consultants have started businesses themselves. So I think that's that's very important when you're across the table from someone that's going through. You know, the very difficult early stages of starting a company and encountering all of the the problems that you've just mentioned there uh, that uh, that you do encounter at an early stage so if you're able to sit across the table from 
from the founders and have an empathy with where they're at, understand what keeps them up at night and can potentially spot some of the landmines that they might step on at an early stage that could impact their ability to onboard customers at a later stage or impact their ability to attract investors at a later stage or affect relationships between between mm-hmm. founders at a later stage. We can, you know, we stand a good chance of being able to spot those things uh, for companies. So that, that um, having that background in startups ourselves and, and growing and scaling companies and taking on investment, and having done all of that ourselves, I think pays dividends when we're when we're sitting across the, the mm. table and advising our own startups. Now, w- when you're talking about your own background, you've been with Bic a while. You, you didn't uh, you didn't exactly fall from the clouds. Uh, you've been working your way up through the organisation yourself over the years. I have indeed, yeah. So I'm I'm there almost six years at this stage. So the last six years, I've been very much. Uh, working as a as a consultant within Corkbic, and uh, my day to day job has been working with. In any given year, we work with forty to fifty companies um, in the region, so we cover the Cork and Kerry region. So that's that, that's very much been my day to day job over the last while. So it's it's an incredibly interesting role. It covers a whole gambit from from startup to growth stage to to scaling up to taking on customers to taking on investment. So it's a uh, it's an, an incredibly exciting. Uh, place to work and there's never uh, a dull moment so there's always new companies coming through and new challenges coming through okay. so it's um yeah so very much i, I have been promoted uh, internally but i prior to that i did uh, run my a couple of my own businesses previously yeah for over 11 years so i i kind of understand some of the yeah, well you've seen all the problems you, you've lived through them so you're, you're ideally placed to offer advice where do people go to if they have that idea right now if they've if they've the company started and they're looking for a bit of advice and think Corkbit can help them Absolutely, yeah. So they, they can uh, they can come to our website, corkpick.com, um, and all of our contact details are there. So we work very much on a one-to-one basis with companies. The, like I said at the beginning, the stage of companies that we work with aren't the super early stage of companies. It tends to be companies that are a little bit more developed or along the, along the, the pipeline somewhat. So the, with that being the case, the challenges are, are particularly unique to those companies. So very much we're working... Uh, hand in glove with the companies on a one-to-one basis and trying to identify the challenges that they have in the currently and in the short term and seeing what we can do to help those overcome, okay. help those companies overcome those challenges. Well, it's solid, and, and, solid advice right. on offer. Absolutely. Larry O'Donoghue, who's CEO of Corkwick. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Larry. You're very welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for the opportunity. And that's it from this episode of Red Business. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, every episode is available on redfm.ie. Red FM has a big birthday coming up next week and we'll have a very special episode of the podcast to mark that next week. So do make sure you join us for that. Fiona Corcoran was the producer and we will catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.